Have you ever wondered what happens to a pet when their humans die? Can pets receive property under a person's will or become beneficiaries of testamentary trusts? Are trusts created for the maintenance of an animal valid? And if so, can they be enforced by a court? Hello and welcome to Trial by Podcast, a monthly recording by the solicitors at McCabe's Lawyers. My name is Dylan Heffernan and I'll be your host for our second episode, Estate Planning for Pets. I'm a solicitor in the private clients group here at McCabe's and I practice predominantly in the area of estate planning. A core part of my practice as an estate planning lawyer involves the creation of trusts for beneficiaries under a will. These are generally referred to as testamentary trusts, and they're a key aspect of modern estate planning. The ongoing care and maintenance of pets after the death of a willmaker is rarely, if ever, considered in the context of preparing wills. But I was recently asked whether or not a beloved family pet could be included as a beneficiary of a testamentary trust. This question and others will be explored in today's episode. You may have heard the story of Carlotta Liebenstein, a German countess who died in 1991. The sole heir of her estate, Gunther III, inherited an $80 million fortune, but died only one month later. Fortunately, however, the trustees of the countess's estate were astute investors and managed to increase the value of the inheritance to around $400 million which was preserved for the son of the intended beneficiary, Gunther IV. The interesting point here was that Gunther IV, the new beneficiary, was a dog. His non-human status didn't stop him, however, from acquiring a very healthy property portfolio, including a beachside mansion in Miami, which was reportedly purchased from none other than Madonna in 2000 for a cool $7.5 million. If that seems more than a little odd to you, it may be because here in Australia, animals are classified as property and therefore cannot themselves become the owners of property. Similarly, they can only become the subject matter rather than the object of a trust, and I'll touch more on that later. Most Australian households have pets, around 65% according to statistics published by the RSPCA. In fact, there are almost as many pets in Australia as people, and most of us would freely admit that we feel very close to our pets. Some people, like yours truly, even think of them as children. So how can we ensure that our furry or feathered family members are able to live out the rest of their lives with all of the creature comforts to which they have grown accustomed? And how can we provide for them in our wills when they are unable to receive inheritances directly? Like most interesting legal questions, the answer is not so simple. Let's start by considering how specific legacies and bequests can be used. In most cases, the ongoing care of a pet after the death of their human is dealt with informally and outside of a will. Sometimes the deceased person will have arranged for a particular person to take the pet and care for it after they die. Sometimes the family members of the deceased get together and work out amongst themselves who is going to take and care for the pet. Occasionally, if the pet is not mentioned in the will, it will be given up for adoption and in a small number of cases, the pet will be euthanised at the direction of the executor. 
Now, since pets are not legal persons and are classified as property, any legacy which is left directly to a pet will certainly fail. Depending on the way that the deceased will was drafted, the property intended to be given to the pet would pass to the residual beneficiaries of the estate or could potentially even result in a partial intestacy. That is, a portion of an estate which is not disposed of by the will. In such cases, the intended gift to the pet, and indeed the pet itself, may go to persons who are unsuitable or unable to care for the animal. It is therefore prudent in many cases for willmakers to ensure that they give any pets they own at the date of their death to persons who are prepared to care for them, and this is usually done in the form of a specific bequest under their will. The testator may also decide to give a legacy, which is another name for a gift of money under a will, to the person who will receive the pet and could express the wish that the funds are to be applied for the ongoing care of the pet. But requests like these are generally non-binding, and there is not a lot that could be done to prevent the legatee from using the gift for whatever purpose they see fit. As an alternative, recognised charities, such as the Animal Welfare League of New South Wales and the RSPCA, have implemented pet legacy programs, which can provide pet owners with a greater degree of certainty in relation to how their pets will be cared for when their humans pass away. Under these programs, a willmaker can leave a legacy or a share of their estate to the charity, along with any animals he or she possesses, on the condition that the pets are cared for directly by the charity or placed in a good caring home. Such programs are great for people who don't have anyone who could or would be prepared to care for their pets when they die. It is nevertheless important to recognise that when substantial gifts are given to charities, that may encourage some eligible family members to bring a claim against the estate on the basis that they were not adequately provided for under the will. There is fairly extensive case law in Australia on this very issue, and in many cases, the claims have been successful. Such was the case in Marshall and Redford, where the whole of a testator's estate was left to the RSPCA, as his wife had predeceased him, with no provision being made for the deceased's two children. Master McCready, in the Equity Division of the New South Wales Supreme Court, found that there was little competition against the claims of the plaintiff children and ultimately awarded them substantial legacies, which had the corresponding effect of reducing the proportion of the estate for the RSPCA by around 60%. When it comes to trusts, the legal status of animals as property prevents the most significant barrier to validity and enforceability of trusts set up for the benefit of pets. As some listeners will be aware, a trust that lacks a beneficiary who's capable of enforcing the obligations of the trust will generally be invalid. Given the growing body of scientific evidence demonstrating that cognitively advanced species of animals, such as chimpanzees, dolphins and elephants, are capable of leading complex intellectual, social and emotional lives, it might seem odd to you that there hasn't been more of an effort made to formally recognise some limited form of legal personhood for non-humans. Of course, until this occurs, the right to enforce the obligations of a trust will be limited to humans, and animals will not be recognised as valid objects or beneficiaries of a trust. In any case, it's unlikely that the many species of animals that are kept as pets in Australia will be considered legal persons anytime soon. 
How then can we categorise trusts for their care and maintenance? The law is quite clear that where a trust is created to benefit some stated purpose rather than a beneficiary, the courts will only enforce the obligations of the trust where there's a clear public benefit to be derived from doing so. For this reason, trusts for a non-charitable purpose, such as the impugned trust in the 1923 case of Re Hamiltonburg, which was created for the purpose of training poodles to dance, will generally not be enforceable. Nevertheless, up until the late 19th century, the validity of testamentary trusts created for the purpose of maintaining and caring for animals remained virtually untested. In one 1842 case, a man provided in his will for the following bequest in favour of his favourite black mare, which was admitted by counsel to be valid. I hereby bequeath that at my death 50 pounds per annum be paid for her keep in some park in England or Wales, her shoes to be taken off, and she never to be ridden or put in harness, and that my executor consider himself in honour bound to fulfil my wish and see that she be well provided for. The 1888 case of Reed Dean was the first case which provided a court with the opportunity to directly consider the validity of a testamentary trust created for the maintenance of specific animals. In that case, the testator directed his trustees to apply more than £750 for the maintenance of his horses and dogs during the remainder of the animal's lifetimes, albeit for a maximum of 50 years. In many ways, the reasoning of Justice North in Reed Dean laid the foundation for the validity of this unique species of trust, and it's generally still considered good law today. His Honour considered that the trust didn't have a charitable purpose because it was created to benefit specific animals rather than animals generally. He also said that the gift could be distinguished from one which is made directly to a recognised charity, such as the RSPCA. He then dealt with and ultimately dismissed the argument put to him that courts will not recognise a trust unless it's capable of being enforced by someone. In his honour's view, a trust created for the maintenance of particular animals was analogous to trust created for the purpose of erecting a monument, perhaps in a church or a churchyard, which he considered would be valid, even though it would be difficult to say who would be capable of enforcing such a trust. Finally, his honour considered whether there was anything illegal or obnoxious to the law in the nature of a provision for animals rather than humans. He reasoned that since the courts have been willing to accept that charities can be created for animals, a provision in a person's will for horses and dogs, which is not a charity, cannot of itself be obnoxious to the law, provided, of course, that it didn't offend the rule against perpetuities by lasting for too long a period. The trustees were therefore at liberty to carry out the terms of the trust if they were willing to do so. And so courts will generally recognise trusts for the care and maintenance of an animal while also recognising that they are no more than non-binding directions made to the executors or trustees. After all that, we're in more or less the same position as before. There's a distinct lack of certainty and enforceability in the law regarding directions given by a pet owner in their will for the ongoing care and maintenance of their pets. By way of comparison, in some jurisdictions in the United States, legislation has been passed which provides for the creation of statutory pet trusts, which are enforceable by the person 
designated for that purpose in the trust instrument or someone appointed by the court. No such legislation exists in Australian jurisdictions, however, and for the time being, pet owners are confined to making non-binding directions and requests on their executors and beneficiaries. It's little wonder, perhaps, given these uncertainties, that some pet owners direct their executor to euthanise their pet if they're concerned that the animals will suffer grief from separation or become dejected or anxious in relation to rehoming or being housed in a shelter. In the United States, numerous court cases have held that the inclusion of a euthanasia clause in wills is invalid on the basis of cruelty to the animal and being against public policy. However, such clauses have not really been tested here. So, to summarise all of that, we can say that a pet can benefit from a deceased person's will, but not directly, and only to the extent that the executor or beneficiary is willing to carry out the deceased's intentions. Since pets are not legal persons, they cannot be the beneficiaries of a trust created under a will, but can benefit from trusts which are created for the purpose of caring for them. Such trusts will often be recognised by courts as being valid, but are presently unable to be enforced in Australia. So whether or not you provide for your pet in your will, your best bet, it seems, is to find someone who you can trust to carry out your intentions after you die and make sure that they have access to sufficient funds to care for your pet in accordance with your wishes. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for tuning in to the second episode of Trial by Podcast, a show hosted by McCabe's lawyers examining the weird and wonderful world of law and some of the more fascinating issues that affect our lives and those around us. Our third episode, coming to you next month, will be hosted by my colleague Amelia Cooper, who will be discussing the right to bear arms. We're not talking about guns, but tattoos. And Amelia will be examining whether or not someone else can own the rights to your skin. It should be a brilliant discussion, so be sure to have a listen once it's released. And if you haven't done so already... I recommend you listen to the first episode of the show, which was hosted by my colleague, Luke Dominish. His episode, which asked the question, who has possession over your body or parts of it on your death, was a fascinating insight into burial rights, human tissue, and even the rights surrounding sperm samples. Please review us on iTunes via the podcast app on your phone or whatever other platform on which you subscribe to podcasts, as it will help other law students and lawyers to find and enjoy the show. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next month. 